Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Touting Biden's pro-worker agenda on the road. How the governor of South Carolina reacted. Today on the show, the latest from the Ohio AFL-CIO and Adam Keller on the Valley Labor Report. Welcome to the Tuesday, February 6th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Timothy Berga, who is president of the Ohio AFL-CIO, ohioaflcio.org is their website, and primarily two things we're going to delve into. As you recall, we announced on the show the latest union density numbers, which was pretty steady in the country. 10% of workers in America belong to unions. It was a slight dip. But you have to keep in mind a lot of the organized workers that don't have first contracts, and we saw many of them last year, they are not included in the numbers. And there was a slight dip in the state of Ohio, and Tim's got some comments on that. But we're going to spend a whole lot of time on gerrymandering and what hopes to be a proposed constitutional amendment this coming November. And we've got some good news to share with you. Business leaders. 67 Ohio business leaders got together, wrote a letter, and released it via the Leadership Now Project, a national group of business leaders. And they are standing in support of Citizens Not Politicians, the group leading the effort to get redistricting reform on the ballot. And Tim is quoted as saying, the fact that labor... And business leaders agree gerrymandering is hurting Ohio is just one more example of why Ohioans need to come together from all political spectrums to take the power of map drawing out of the hands of politicians and put it in the hands of citizens. So darn important. So darn important. And you know what? Michigan did this. They had a mission for several years and they finally came to their senses on it, and as a result, because of that, they got rid of right to work in Michigan. Adam Keller will be joining us later on the show. He is co-host and co-producer of the Valley Labor Report. He's also a member of IATSE Local 900, and he is on the board of Alabama Arise, and we're going to talk about something that he is really proud of, the staff leadership and board of Alabama Arise, which is a nonprofit just announced the launch of Alabama Arise Workers United, and they're affiliated with the Communication Workers of America, and they are about to engage on obtaining a first contract. They've elected bargaining reps and stewards to negotiate an initial bargaining agreement. Adam worked really hard on this, and he's real excited to talk about that. And speaking of organizing, the UAW announced that they hit 30% cards signed at both Mercedes and Tuscaloosa, as well as Hyundai in Montgomery. And as soon as that news came out, and we talked about this on the show last week with Tim Smith, who's the Region 8 director, which covers Alabama, the governor there, Kay Ivey, came out with an op-ed denouncing 
the organizing of workers. So they they have a, a tough road to hoe, no doubt about that. But I'll tell you, the workers are fired up and they're signing more and more union cards. The other issue, the legislative session, which starts today in Alabama, and some of the big issues, well, number one is what they call school choice. And this is a voucher program. We're seeing that in a number of states. And they're, uh, they're concerned, though, I guess, and Adam's going to get more specific on this. The concern is that uh, maybe if they go too far, they're not going to have enough money for public education. There's also on the agenda SB1, an absentee voting bill, which would criminalize helping folks with absentee ballots. There's more, too. Medicaid expansion. He'll touch on that as well. So Adam Keller, the co-host of the Valley Labor Report, will be our second guest on the show today. And now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. Last week, Julie Sue, the acting uh, labor secretary, traveled to Pittsburgh and Columbia, South Carolina, to highlight how the administration's pro-worker agenda is making an impact. Well, she kicked off the week in Pittsburgh with the Secretary of Education, where they highlighted the administration's investments in worker training and good jobs. And that started with a tour and discussion at the Community College of Allegheny County's recently opened Center for Education, Innovation, and Training which was completed using funding from President Biden's American Rescue Plan to prepare students and workers for jobs created by the administration's Investing in America agenda. Well, the next day, she visited Columbia, South Carolina, to engage in a discussion with workers about their attempts to advocate and organize for better working conditions. And she said that the president supports workers and encourages them to unionize. And, well, she got an earful, especially from uh, one worker, well, a former worker at the Waffle House, Shea Parker, talked about the conditions that drove her to walk out and join the Union of Southern Service Workers. Now, they're trying to organize with SEIU. She said the conditions were horrible there. They deducted meals, which they weren't supposed to, and the work environment was dangerous. Sue said, we have a president that's been very clear that when workers do well, America does better. And when unions are strong, America is stronger. Workers, she said, join unions because they don't want to have to choose between life-saving medication and food. Well, in response, in response, the governor of South Carolina, Henry McMaster, in his state of the state address, took a shot at unions. He warned that recent economic growth will be undone if labor unions work their way into some of the state's major industries. He went on to say, We will not allow the Biden administration's vigorous pro-union policies to chip away at South Carolina. Can you believe that? Now, union density did tick up a little bit last year in the state of South Carolina. So I don't think they're listening to him. Now, in honor of February being Black History Month, America's workforce is taking some time out to profile just some of the individuals who have made an impact, a positive impact 
on the lives of African-Americans, especially those in the union movement. And I have one today I am so happy to talk about, Liz Powell. Liz is a trailblazer in the American Postal Workers Union. After being elected to her first leadership position, which was back in 1979, as president of the Hempstead Local, she became the first woman on the union's national executive board when she was elected Northeast Regional Coordinator. That was in 1989. In 2009, she became the first female executive officer in the history of the union when she was elected secretary treasurer of the national. Her service to the union and to local communities earned her the United Food and Commercial Workers Minority Coalition's Addie Wyatt Award. That came four years ago. She also received the 2020 Shirley Chisholm Breakthrough Leader Award in recognition of her contributions to social justice and economic quality. Powell is a role model for women everywhere who seek to lead and make a difference. Celebrating Elizabeth Powell on Black History Month. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Tim Berga on behalf of the Ohio AFL-CIO coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at IFPTE.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, and that would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft 
Org. Let's go to uh, Columbus, Ohio. Welcome a longtime contributor to America's Workforce, Timothy Berga, president of the Ohio AFL-CIO, OhioAFLCIO.org. And uh, two things we're going to talk about on the show today, the union density numbers and redistricting to deal with the gerrymandered state that Ohio has become. But first, let's look at those numbers. Tim, welcome uh, back to America's Workforce. And overall, nationally, Labor held its own. The uh, the the figure is a ten percent. Government sector, but it's about three times that. How uh, how did Ohio fare? Pretty much uh, even from uh, twenty two to twenty three. What's uh, what's your uh, what's your take on that? Yes, uh, high flash. Uh, Ohio union density is continued to be about three points. Uh, three to four points higher than the national union density and pretty much held the line between uh, 2022 and 2023. Uh, There's a real desire for workers to organize. It's not easy to organize. There's a lot of uh, obstacles that get in the way and employer interference too often. And then when you do get a first contract uh, or you do get a, a union organizing drive successfully done and a vote held, too often we're not seeing that first contract happen and that's happening here in Ohio and legislation is needed to expedite the first contract process. So the employer just doesn't uh, try to run out the clock and stall the process. So uh, unions remain very popular in society. Uh, Actually is the highest popularity numbers we've seen since the 1960s. So workers are uh, looking to get together collectively and bargain for wages and health care and, and pensions and workplace safety. And that trend is going to continue. So uh, I would imagine that we'll see the union density line uh, hold steady or increase here in Ohio going forward. It's uh, interesting to note, too, there was a ton of organizing going on last year. It, it's been going on since the pandemic, especially in the, the service industry. Uh, Starbucks, there's Amazon with warehousing. Now, those folks that organize and did not secure a contract, they are not counted in these numbers, not counted at all. That would uh, really make a, a difference in those numbers. So obviously we wish them luck in trying to get that contract, which is not an easy thing. But uh, the good news is we're holding our own. <laughs> and even the one that was surprising me, Tim, South Carolina. South Carolina used to be 1.7% union density. And uh, they bumped over two. I think they're like 2.3. So there's some organizing going, especially in the South by our brothers and sisters. So it's definitely a trend to watch down there. Let's, uh, let's switch gears here because I know there's an issue that you and I have discussed, and it's about gerrymandering here. And once again, the politicians are not listening to the people that elected them. And you and I have had many conversations over the years about what happened in, what was it, 2015, 2017, where they tried to uh, change the system. And apparently the problem is you've got those in power in control. Now, we have we have a proposed constitutional amendment here that now has the support of business leaders. Talk to me about that. This is pretty exciting. Well, when the politicians who are designing and implementing the legislative maps are the people that are running in those districts and they ignore bipartisan Ohio Supreme Court rulings seven times, 
which is what's happened here over the last couple of years, you know there's a serious problem that needs fixed. So the Ohio AFL-CIO and organized labor is out there trying to get uh, getting signatures to place an issue on the ballot for this November's general election to take the map drawing process for our state legislative and congressional districts out of the hands of the politicians and put it in an independent commission. And what you'll see with that is uh, we'll start to see more moderation and less extremism, and we'll see more cooperation and less chaos should we get this system in place. And I'm confident we're going to get the signatures to place it on the ballot, and I'm confident once Ohioans uh, go to the polls and vote in November, they're going to see that it's not a healthy system where the politicians who are in office are establishing the maps in the districts for which they want to run in. Uh, and a perfect example of that is maybe my congressional district, the 12th congressional district. I live in Westerville, Ohio, just uh, north of Columbus, uh, northern Franklin County, southern Delaware County. My district goes all the way northeast, up, uh, just south of Canton, all the way down south, Flash, the Ohio River, just uh, near uh, Parkersburg, West Virginia. Now, it takes a lot of doing to come up with a map like that, and you have to ask yourself, why are they doing that? And the parties in power that control the maps are doing that so they can stay in power, and it's creating a lot of extremism, a lot of things that Ohioans flat out reject, and you look no further than what happened last year where they tried to take away uh, women's health care and reproductive rights. They tried to even take away uh, our rights to a constitutional um, reality of simple majority ruling in this state. I mean, it's hard to even say that. And the voters stood up and said no. And I think the voters are going to stand up and say no again to this gerrymandering. And uh, we're asking uh, all your listeners, Flash, to sign a petition in your neighborhood to get this on the ballot. Now, when is the deadline to get this on the ballot? And probably you can give some advice to our listeners right now. If, if they want to sign this petition, is there a website they can go to or contact somebody in their, in their, in their neighborhood? What, what do we know about that? Yes, you can go to uh, unionstrongohio.com and uh, learn more about how to sign a petition. But our local AFL-CIOs, our central labor councils around the state, have... Uh, petition booklets and they're circulating them. We're in uh, Akron, Canton, Cleveland, Youngstown, Lorraine, all over the state. So, uh, you know, check in with your local AFL-CIO, your Central Labor Council, go to unionstrongohio.com, learn more about how you can get uh, sign one of these petitions. And you're going to be hearing a lot more about it as the weather warms up and the petitioners will be out there. Uh, we need uh, to get a certain amount of signatures. It's not an easy threshold. Somewhere around uh, the deadline of July 4th. So uh, we're off to a good start, and we need all your listeners to take part in this. Absolutely. Well, it's appropriate that <laughs> the deadline is on Independence Day because that's what we're shooting for here. Unionstrong.com. Unionstrong.com for those of you listening. Unionstrongohio.com. Oh, I'm sorry. Unionstrongohio.com. Thank you. UnionStrongOhio.com. Okay, I want to get back to this uh, this uh, letter from uh, 67 Ohio business leaders. How did that uh, materialize? I mean, was this something that uh, the Ohio AFL-CIO reached out on? I mean, uh, give me give me the backstory on this one, Tim. 
Well, as we see more and more extremism and chaos in our state legislative and even our congressional delegations, business knows that business leaders know that's not good for their business. So we saw a coming together last year um, from uh, people on all political party views, business and labor come together to say, trying to take away our majority rule rights, trying to take away a uh, woman's right to health care and reproductive freedoms is wrong. It's bad for business. So you're seeing this outgrowth of business leaders throughout the state who are saying enough is enough. Let's simply take the map drawing process out of the legislators hands, out of the politicians hands and put it in an independent commission uh, with all sorts of uh, rules governing and just resolution for disputes uh, that would be binding uh, and final. And so we're going to see more of that. We're going to see Ohioans from all walks of life, um, those in the urban core, rural, suburban, uh, different uh, occupations and vocations uh, come across and come around to say, this isn't a healthy system that we have here in Ohio, and we need to bring some moderation to it. We need to bring some cooperation, and we've got to end this uh, situation where who's ever the most extreme runs in our primary elections and then the, and they, they tend to win those, right? Whether Democrat or Republican. And then the general election is pretty much a foregone conclusion. Mm -hmm. It's all the competitions in the primary. So it's a bad system. It's gerrymandered. It's rigged for the party in power. It's rigged for the politicians to uh, set their own future by creating their own maps in which they run and, 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 and rule in. And we're going to change that, and we need everybody's help. We should point out, too, that this idea came from a Republican, a Republican that would be Maureen O'Connor, who was the swing vote on the Ohio Supreme Court. She was uh, termed out, or aged out, I should say. She, uh, she said that when she retired, this is the first thing she's going to do because she didn't like the way the situation was in the state of Ohio. And the way this will pan out, should it become uh, law in the state of Ohio, there'd be five Republicans, five Democrats, and five independents. So you got 15 people on this commission, citizens, not politicians. All right, good good stuff here. All right, uh, anything new in the legislature? That's Senate Bill 83, which would deal with higher education. I know you and I have talked about that. Any movement on that right now, Tim? No, it's still sitting there in the General Assembly where it should should remain. It's a flawed bill. Uh, the Ohio General Assembly during this two-year session has been the least active legislative session in decades, which, you know, I hate to say this, but that's probably a good thing given their track record of late. So, you know, it's been pretty slow uh, there. The legislature has been uh, really focused on uh, overturning the governor's uh, executive orders and wishes on certain legislation, overturning his vetoes. So it's been pretty slow, but, um, you know, we're continuing to say let's focus not on all those uh, extreme issues. Uh, let's focus on economic issues. Let's focus on good jobs and wages, health care, safety, the workplace conditions. Those are the things that Ohioans uh, care about and what we need to move to go forward. And, and hopefully we can get back to that if we can get these districts aligned in a way in which uh, they're competitive again. Gotcha. 
Tim Berga, president of the Ohio AFL-CIO. For complete updates, OhioAFLCIO.org. And that website, too, dealing with the uh, gerrymandering situation, UnionStrongOhio.com. UnionStrongOhio.com. Okay, great job, buddy. You take care. We'll talk to you next month, okay? Okay, thanks for having me. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Adam Keller is the co-host and co-producer of the Valley Labor Report. Got a lot of news to share with us, and he's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. The Alliance for American Manufacturing is a nonprofit, nonpartisan partnership formed back in 2007 by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers. Their mission is simple strengthen American manufacturing and create new private sector jobs through smart public policies. Keyword there is smart. We need to be smarter than ever in today's highly competitive world. The Alliance for American Manufacturing believes that an innovative and growing manufacturing base is vital to America's economic and national security, as well as providing good jobs for future generations. Good jobs today, good jobs tomorrow. Good American jobs. Find out more at AmericanManufacturing.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. The heat and frost insulators and allied workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. Now... Back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by Blue Cross and Blue Shield's National Labor Office. You know, Blue Cross and Blue Shield companies formed out of a need to provide affordable health care to teachers, to loggers, and miners. Well, in 1965, the Blues developed the National Labor Office to strengthen its commitment to organized labor. And today, Blue Cross and Blue Shield's National Labor Office remains focused on America's workers advocating for affordable and equitable health care. 
partnering with strategic alliances to provide industry-leading products and services, and proudly serving more than 18 million unionized workers, retirees, and their families. Working hard for America's working families. For the health of America. You can learn more by following them at Blue Labor on LinkedIn and X, formerly known as Twitter, is their website. Let's go south right now to the state of Alabama. Joining us on line number two is Mr. Adam Keller. No stranger to America's workforce. He is a co-host and co-producer of the Valley Labor Report. Do check him out. TVLRFM is their website. TVLRFM. And Adam has some good news to report. Organizing in Alabama. Alabama Rise. Adam, welcome back to the show. Talk to me about uh, what's happening there. Hey, brother. It's always great to be on America's Workforce. And, yeah, it's great to have some good news. Uh, your longtime listeners will know that I'm a union stagehand with IATSE, Local 900 up in Huntsville. Uh, but back in August, I started with Alabama Arise. And, you know, we've talked on the show about it. You've had a colleague of mine uh, from Arise on the show as well. We're a nonprofit coalition of about 150 groups along with grassroots individuals. And we fight for public policy that's going to uplift folks in poverty here in Alabama. And I'm a community organizer there. I started in August, and pretty quickly some colleagues bent my ear and were like, hey, Adam, you're the most union guy we know. We've been thinking about unions for a while. Um, you know, are you interested in, in organizing here? And, uh, of course, I was. Uh, you know, music to my ears, right? And so uh, we got an organizing committee together, one person from every department, started having weekly, uh, you know, Zoom calls every Sunday night and just strategizing and uh, signing one-on-ones, and and we did it. Uh, we organized over a few months as a quick campaign. Uh, there's 14 of us, and uh, in November we held our signing party. All 14 uh, staff members not only signed their authorization but also joined the union. And um, being a progressive nonprofit that truly practices what it preaches, we have had nothing but, you know, a good collaborative relationship with our leadership. Uh, we got voluntary recognition. And so uh, we are now the newest bargaining unit in CWA, Communication Workers of America, Local 3908 out of Montgomery. And couldn't be more excited. It, uh, it's a great opportunity for us to grow our coalition and, you know, we fight for working people every day in our day jobs. It just makes sense that we would be unionized and part of the labor movement as we do that. And so, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to starting bargaining here soon. But um, it has been a wonderful experience. I've never organized a, a new shop before in my organizing background. And so it was definitely a special moment for me and for my colleagues to get to know my brothers and sisters on the job a lot better. And uh, get to stand in solidarity with each other. It's been remarkable. Well, congratulations. I'll tell you, that hard work paid off. And uh, we should point out, too, that uh, Alabama Rise, and, and Adam touched on this briefly, it's a statewide member-led organization advancing public policies to improve, key word is to improve, the lives of people in Alabama who are marginalized by poverty. And that's a big group here. And we've got to do a shout-out here. You know, CWA, National Sponsors of America's Workforce, this, this would be they're affiliated with uh, CWA Local 3908, 3908. Now, you mentioned uh, getting uh, getting a contract here. 
Uh, has any of that started? And maybe you could touch on some of the issues. I'm sure wages are, are part of that. Can you share anything with us right now, Adam? Sure, yeah. we're Right now we're gathering bargaining input from all of our members uh, and getting some good feedback from everybody, doing some brainstorming on you know, what we would like to see. Um, the good news is, you know, this is a campaign where everybody was pretty happy, right? Uh, it was more uh, the principle of the matter and, and locking in what we like into a contract and ensuring that stability moving forward. Uh, so it's, you know, it's looking like it's going to be a really positive, you know, collaborative process. Uh, of course, we've got different issues that we want to address. Certainly, you know, wages are always a concern when you're in the nonprofit sector, um, you know, but also time, leave policies, just getting some things hammered out. Uh, we're really looking forward to that. It's been great to get the feedback from members, and I think that is so important that everybody contributes their feedback in the bargaining process. I know every union does bargaining a little differently. It looks different depending on your sector, right, nonprofit, private industry, uh, public sector, but the important thing is the membership engagement um, because you can't just assume that uh, your leadership knows the ins and outs of your experience day to day, right? And mm-hmm. so I think that is really important that, that every member participate. We've had really good participation so far. Uh, we're doing our, our bargaining unit meetings. Our organizing committee is continuing. We actually grew our organizing committee in this new phase of the campaign. Uh, just to to be a little bit even more active, right, in getting at that engagement and ensuring everybody's involved. So uh, it's really been a great process, and, and that's something that I would encourage all workers to, regardless of your job, regardless of how your union bargains, make sure your voice is heard. Make sure that you give that input. However your system works, uh, definitely participate, because that is how you strengthen your, your voice at the table. Congratulations, too, on um, the numbers increasing for union density in the state of Alabama. I mean, what you just talked about is obviously spreading around the state. I've been hearing some good things about uh, organizing there, and I'm looking at the numbers from the Bureau of Labor Stats. I'm sure you saw this. came out a couple of weeks ago. And in 2022, the percent of employed represented by unions, that number was 8.4, and it ticked up last year to 86 so as I often say on the show, the needle is moving in the right direction. And, uh, and, and Adam, Ivan checked South Carolina. I was talking earlier with Tim Berger, the Ohio AFL-CIO. South Carolina jumped over 2%. They were below 2%, like 1.7 for a long time. And they shot up to, uh, let's see, 2.3%. So things are happening in the South. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. It was interesting to see those numbers. And, of course, the the big highlight was that union membership grew nationally, but not as fast as the working population. So our density actually dropped slightly from 10.1 to 10. But if you look further into the numbers, you'll see that most of the South actually increased, Um, and particularly in some of these anti-union strongholds, like, like you said, South Carolina being a good example. Alabama has historically had higher union density compared to many of our neighbors here in the Deep South, and I uh, was really proud to see us add, you know, over 7,000 new union members, uh, take that density up to 7.5%. Uh, still a long, long way to go, obviously, but 
to see a couple years of consecutive growth. Considering the hostility that we receive, which I know we'll be talking about here in a sec, the hostility we get from state government, from the business class here in Alabama, uh, to see this growth is really impressive, and I think it speaks to the appetite that folks have to organize. Uh, and so that is, that's where we have to channel our momentum and ensure that the workers who want to organize are supported, that they can do so. Uh, it's a tough road ahead of us, and the obstacles are, are very great in front of us, but there's a lot of demand to organize, and workers are on the move. I think there is a, a renewed energy, and we are experiencing a moment now where we have to seize the moment. Well, let's talk about the United Auto Workers because uh, Sean Fain is making it uh, his mission to organize in the South and all the right-to-work states and all the non-union. There's 13 auto plants that are non-union. And uh, we're talking about Alabama here. Right now, the UAW, they announced they hit 30% cards signed at both Mercedes and Tuscaloosa as well as Hyundai in Montgomery, Alabama. Talk to me about this, uh, Adam. This this is pretty exciting. And to your point, the governor there is she's not too happy about this. So why don't you just lay out this story? Go ahead. Sure. It's it's definitely the biggest labor story happening in Alabama. The UAW has momentum in a way that we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, like you mentioned, we've got two plants that have already gone public. Uh, and things are a little bit further ahead in Tuscaloosa at the Mercedes plant. They're nearing 50% is my understanding. Um, and the interesting thing there is that uh, despite the opposition, it continues to grow. And, and the more cards are signed, well, the more people will get involved and the more cards keep flowing in, right? And so it's just been exciting to see the progress. Um, there has been, of course, uh, union busting activities, particularly with Hyundai in Montgomery, they've already had some unfair labor practice charges filed on them. I, I anticipate more will probably come come down the pike, considering some of the conduct of Hyundai. Uh, my understanding is that Mercedes was not quite as bad until the governor opened her mouth about it, and Governor Kay Ivey put a an op-ed out across the media in Alabama and even on state government websites and uh, lambasted the workers for organizing, and she said they were highly skilled and highly paid and uh, accused the UAW of being an out-of-state special interest, which, you know, is pretty hilarious considering you're defending Mercedes and Hyundai, uh, which last I checked weren't even in the United States, uh, much less Alabama. But, um, you know, she, she mentioned that they were highly skilled and highly paid, which, of course, contradicts the realities these folks are experiencing. If they're so highly skilled, why are so many of them temporary workers? Why is there a two-tiered compensation system? Um, and in terms of being highly paid, we, we've demonstrated, including with Alabama Arises report that you, you covered recently, uh, that Alabama auto workers make less than auto workers in other states. They make less than auto workers in Alabama made 20 years ago. Right? They've actually seen their wages decline, and their working conditions have declined even further. Um, and so Governor Ivey is getting some backup from the Business Council of Alabama, uh, or as my co-host and I uh, like to call them, the Council of Bosses. And the Council of Bosses in Alabama is going scorched earth. They have 
set up a website. They have hired a marketing firm. They're promising to do much more than that in terms of uh, in encouraging, strong-arming, uh, you know, influencing workers to vote no against the union, to not sign union cards, to uh, oppose unionization. And, you know, it, it's really interesting because what we're hearing from workers down there is, hey, when's the last time Governor Ivey or, you know, the CEO of the Business Council, when's the last time they worked on the floor of an auto plant? You know, what do they really know about that life uh, and the injuries that take place so frequently, particularly in Alabama, which has higher injury rates in auto plants than in other states, right, which tracks with our broader economy. And that's something that ultimately Governor Ivey and the Business Council of Alabama are defending a broken status quo that just ain't working for most working people here. We rank at or near the bottom of everything good and at the top of everything bad. We are one of the worst places in the developed world to be a working class person. When it comes to your quality of life, your risk of injury on the job, the way you're treated on the job, the way you're compensated on the job, you know, and so it's, I think it's going to backfire, honestly. I think it's going to backfire this all-out offensive because it's really revealing whose side they're on. You know, we had a good conversation with Tim Smith last week, and that's uh, archived on awfpodcast.com, and he's the uh, director of Region 8, which covers all the southern states over there. And he's, to you know, to to uh, respond to Ivy, he said, you know what, Th they're coming to us. It's not like we're going there. They, they want to go union because of the stuff you just ran down here, Adam. I mean, they're 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 doing their job. And, and obviously, if they can get all these plans, they would double their membership. It would be great for the UAW. It would be great for the country because when you make more money, you spend more money in the community, things go up. It, it, and, and especially when it comes to manufacturing because there's four or five jobs connected to manufacturing. So we'll definitely stay on this, and I appreciate what you're doing over there to, uh, to keep this moving. Adam Keller joining us on our live line today. He's co-host, co-producer of the Valley Labor Report, also a member of IATSE Local 900 and a member of Alabama Arise, just recently organized with the uh, CWA. That would be Local 3908. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about the legislature right after this. Once again, you're listening to America's Workforce. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes LIUNA to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the U.S. Mega projects, large and medium-sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook, Google and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, and exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. 
If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF travel for more information. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers. For more information, please visit bacweb.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go back to our live line rejoin Adam Keller of the Valley Labor Report. TVLRFM is the website, and Adam is the co-host and co-producer of the Valley Labor Report and also an observer of the legislature in the state of Alabama. And uh, I was reading over some of the notes here about the battle over education. It's very similar to what's happening here in the state of Ohio, where you got some people, a lot of them, as a matter of fact, that are really, really into the school choice thing. And it's at the expense of public education. And I guess the, uh, the next session, what it is it starting today? Maybe you can give us a, a rundown of what we can expect in the legislature there, Adam. Go ahead. Yes, sir. It does start today, February 6th, and uh, we always hold our breath when the Alabama legislators gather in Montgomery because uh, we just never know what shenanigans they're going to get up to. Um, but I, And it's important that we talk to each other, folks from other states, right, because you mentioned just now that Ohio is experiencing these battles over the school choice scam. And, you know, it's unfortunate that so many of these battles are really being fought nationwide in state houses all over the country. And so it is important that we talk to each other, we find out what's happening, uh, because a lot of the same bills are being written by a lot of the same folks. They're being pushed by a lot of the same special interests. Uh, So the more we talk and collaborate, the better. But, you know, all that to say, we are entering into the Alabama legislative session, and, and we're expecting it to be, uh, a pretty tough one, honestly, especially in the first half in the lead up to the March primary elections that we have. Um, so, you know, probably a lot of red meat bills are going to be coming out. Um, we have an Alabama uh, Republican supermajority, right? So theoretically, they could pass anything they want if they decide upon that in their own caucus. Um, now, the minority Democratic caucus is able to slow things down sometimes. Um, and of course, you know, even with a supermajority, the Republicans don't always agree with each other. Uh, so there are opportunities to defeat bad bills and pass positive bills. And, and every year, groups like the Alabama Rise, you know, are fighting hard to do that. Um, some of the big issues that we, we anticipate, you mentioned school choice. That is huge on the agenda. 
Governor Kay Ivey has promised, you know, quote unquote, landmark legislation on school choice. Um, we, we anticipate a bill very similar to one that was uh, proposed last year, which is going to create education savings accounts, is what they call them. And more or less, they funnel six to $7,000 from the public, uh, public schools education trust fund budget and give that to the parent to use however they see fit, whether that's a private school, homeschooling, um, or you know various other education-related, semi-related expenses. And there are so many concerns about this, obviously. Uh, you know, we had a great uh, guest on the Valley Labor Report this past weekend, Dr. Joshua Cohen, uh, or Cowan, excuse me, uh, from Michigan State, who has been studying these voucher programs and education savings accounts programs for years, he's demonstrated that it's a joke. Uh, it is not beneficial to the kids. By and large, it is subsidizing families who already attend private schools, right? And so it's a handout to the more affluent folks. It's subsidizing the private choices of folks. It's putting public dollars into private pockets. And so there's a lot of interest among uh, folks who stand to profit from this. There's also interest in, you know, frankly, very extreme ideologies. Uh, you know, there are a lot of uh, very extreme religious folks who push these bills, um, and, and they want public funding to go to these private institutions, but without any sort of accountability that public schools have in terms of standardized testing, uh, curriculum, you name it. And so that's going to be a huge battle. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, Frankly, in my assessment, educators in Alabama are just not organized in the way that uh, educators in other states are. And so that puts them at a disadvantage uh, to battle these kind of harmful attacks on public schools. But school choice, unfortunately, is not the only bad thing that we're, we're dealing with. Uh, there's a really nasty bill, Senate Bill 1. And as you can tell, if it's Senate Bill 1, it's obviously a priority. Oh, yeah. And this is an absentee voting bill. Um, we fought something very similar last year. I remember talking to you about it last year, in fact, because I'm the political coordinator for my IATSE Local 900. I am uh, the political committee chair for our North Alabama Labor Council. So encouraging union members to vote and getting them involved in the process is you know, part of my duties as a volunteer. And this bill would criminalize assistance in the absentee voting process. You know, if you give someone a ride to pick up their absentee vote, voting ballot, um, if you help them in any way in filling it out, if you provide it to them uh, and you are, you know, being paid to do so, right, if you work for a nonprofit. Um, there's a lot of concerns from nonprofits, from advocacy groups, get out the vote organizations that their work is going to be criminalized. And there's obviously a lot of concern among the disabilities community that's going to make it much less accessible for them to vote. Uh, and so that's a bill that a broad coalition of folks are opposing. And, you know, it doesn't stop there, unfortunately. Um, gambling and Medicaid expansion are two perennial topics that we have in the legislature, and we fear they could be kind of connected. In fact, um, Alabama is one of the few states that does not have a lottery. We do not have casinos or legal sports betting, and every year legislators debate on that because it's a lot of potential revenue, uh, and Alabama raises very little tax revenue. So, you know, a new revenue source that doesn't involve, you know, actually taxing corporations and the wealthy who can afford it, that's always enticing. 
Uh, we anticipate a lot of debate around gambling this year, and we anticipate that the Democratic Minority Caucus is going to really hold firm that any gambling legislation should also include support to expand Medicaid. And there's been some promising movement on Medicaid expansion. We're one of the 10 states that has not expanded. Um, listeners know I've been fighting on this issue for a long time. And there is a private partner, uh, private-public partnership idea that's being floated around Montgomery. Uh, the Speaker of the House, Ledbetter, he seemed you know, positive on this. So we're not sure all the details. We're not sure if this is going to match up to straight-up Medicaid expansion or be as good as that. Um, but there at least seems to be more openness now than there has been over recent years. So um, stay tuned. It's going to be a busy legislative session. Uh, hopefully one where we can make some progress, get some things done for working people in Alabama, um, but we're also going to be playing a lot of defense and trying to defeat some bad bills. You know, just to go back into history here, the Medicaid expansion, that happened under the Affordable Care Act, and that was a reaction by many states against Obama, and they, they didn't want that money. And, and sadly, the stats bear this out in the states that expanded Medicaid, you got people living longer and healthier lives. It's so sad that the politics have to enter into this. And I, and you, did you, did I hear you correctly? You're one of 10 states that did not expand Medicaid. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And, and you're exactly right. I mean, hundreds of thousands of Alabamians would gain health care, right? That would help them stay in the workforce, stay healthy. Uh, it would create thousands and thousands of jobs. It would grow our economy. I mean, it's really a no-brainer. And right. there's polling in Alabama that shows that a vast majority of Republicans even support it. Um, and so I do think that the politics it being connected to Barack Obama, I think race plays a huge factor. It's no coincidence that it's you know, typically southern states that have not expanded. Um, and, and I believe that race certainly plays a role there as well. Um, but it, it, it is unfortunate because it would help uplift working people, um, people who are on the margins, people who make, you know, too much to qualify for Medicaid that is super strict here in Alabama, but they don't make enough to actually afford private health care. Um, and so it could really it could really uplift the state and grow our health care network. So many of our rural hospitals are on the verge of closure. This would be an instant boost to them. So, again, it's a no-brainer. It is a no-brainer. It is way past time that we do this in Alabama and really help everyone. Do the right thing. Adam, what a great discussion today. you got a lot on your plate here. And uh, we're going to stay in touch with you on all these issues and more, especially that one that would <laughs> criminalize helping folks with absentee ballots. We should be doing everything to help people vote, not the opposite. Ay, ay, ay. Adam Keller, co-host, co-producer of the Valley Labor Report, TVLRFM. You take care, brother. We'll talk to you down the road, okay? All right. Thanks, as always. Love and solidarity from Alabama, y'all. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, the Blue-Green Alliance and the Ironworkers. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.